You know, this is a unique weekend. Not only are we kind of recovering from this Frankenstorm or whatever it was they called it, and kind of something unexpected, I think, for a lot of us in this area, especially the impact that it had in this area. And then to add on top of that, of course, we have all the, the hype and the, the stress of, of an upcoming presidential election here and, and lots of people I know from the vibe that I've been getting for, for weeks, if not more, just a lot of people have really troubled hearts and are concerned about what's going to happen with the election one way or the other and what that's going to mean for our nation and our economy and just seems like uh, people's hearts are sort of like a troubled sea. Remember Jesus, John 14 said, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Uh, believe also in me. And they said, In my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I wouldn't have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And he said, And if I go and prepare a place, I will come again to receive you to myself. And, and Jesus encouraged faith and, and, and just a proper focus, a, a heavenly focus at, at times like this. And you know, in light of that, I just felt the Lord putting on my heart this morning just uh, some things that he wanted me to uh, to share uh, together with you as as the church family. So next Sunday morning, we'll continue in our study in, in Luke's gospel together. But if you have your Bibles, if you turn together with me actually to the book of Lamentations chapter 3. Uh, Lamentations chapter 3. And if you do need a Bible, just hold your hand up if you want to follow along with us. You don't have your Bible, just keep your hand up and they can deliver one over to you. Lamentations is right after Jeremiah, or if you know where Ezekiel is, you want to turn back to the left. Just a short book in the Old Testament. Lamentations chapter 3, and if I can draw your attention actually to verse 21 there in chapter 3, and we're going to look at verse 21 down through verse 26. And if you're turned there together with me, would you stand as we do out of reverence for the Word of God as I read our text for this morning's Bible study? It's page 1,112, in my Bible anyway. Lamentations 3, beginning in verse 21. Jeremiah says, This I recall to my mind... Therefore, I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And Father, we lift up the word of God in your presence this morning. And Lord, recognizing that it is exactly that, not the words of men, but your very words spoken, inspired by your spirit, given to us that it might be living and powerful in our lives, that like a two-edged sword, it might cut and, and Lord, just surgically work upon each and every one of our hearts, that it would judge the thoughts and the intents of our heart. And Lord, we trust that your word this morning has something profitable for us for doctrine and reproof and correction and training in righteousness that as men and women of God, we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, Lord, we lift our hearts, our minds, our our bodies before you this morning. Just quicken us by your Spirit, and we pray that he would be our teacher, and that by your Spirit you would minister to us 
that timely word that you'd have us here. Speak to us now and bless your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, I think if there were one thing that everybody in the room could uh, agree on, it is the fact that each and every one of us, despite where we're at and kind of what we're going through, there's one thing that we all need for our lives as we journey through this world. And I really think that's an anchor for hope. That every one of us needs an anchor of hope in our life so that no matter what happens circumstantially in this present life, Uh, No matter what happens personally in our lives, what we go through and what transpires, no matter what happens nationally in our lives, no matter what happens politically as we turn the corner this upcoming Tuesday and head into the next four years with a new uh, president over our country, that we can have still a source of hope an anchor of hope for our lives that we can hold on to that that sort of enables us and helps us to continue onward it, it keeps us on course so we're not blown away and and our lives aren't destroyed and 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 ravaged in the rocks and the destruction of things that can happen and you know the reality is lots of things in this life tend to be the different things that we put our hope in And we put our hope in lots of different things. And a lot of times we put our hope into things only to find out that the things that we put our hope in fail. Uh, They fall apart. Many times we put our hope in things and, and, and then it never comes to fulfillment. And maybe you know that experience where you had an expectation about something or you were really anticipating something and and then all of a sudden the dream crashed or after waiting and waiting and waiting it just just never comes to fulfillment and your hope was set on that and your heart was desiring and yet now it's never come to fulfillment and that hope has found you in a place of great disappointment other times we have our hopes in things and and our hopes in life are just abruptly uh, changed or, or something happens and, and life's course is altered and, and things can be quickly snatched away from us but the bible tells us that there is a hope that we can have that's unshakable that it's something that is unchangeable and it never fails and very simply that is to have hope in God that we can have hope in God in fact the Bible tells us that that is where our hope should be and I would ask you this morning even as we look at this to search your own heart and maybe this past week or recent season or whatever you've been through has kind of got you to place again where you're forced to confront the question sincerely what is your hope in what are you really hoping in Peter tells us that we, in 1 Peter chapter 1, he says we should have our faith and our hope in God. Not in anything else, not in anyone else, but that we should each have our faith and our hope in God alone. You know, it's interesting in Psalm 42, as you read one of David's psalms, a man who was a man after God's own heart. David was a worshiper of the Lord. David loved the Lord. But like many of the men in Scripture, that God gives us an honest evaluation of what they're like. And the Bible shows us that even great and godly men and women, they were women and men at best. That's all they were. They had feet of clay. 
And David himself, though he was a lover of the Lord and he was used by God, was a man with his humanity. And David was at a time, as he had many times in his life, of of discouragement and despair. And he was even questioning in his life and he was feeling downcast. And in Psalm 42, as David is depressed, you find David exhorting himself repeatedly with these words, hope in God. That at a time when he felt so downcast and so depressed and discouraged, he had to challenge himself saying, listen, hope in God. The only way you're going to get through this, the only way you're going to get out of this is you need to hope in God. And the Bible encourages us to do that. In fact, that's what we find Jeremiah the prophet at a very difficult, discouraging and depressing season in his own life not only inwardly, but even circumstantially and nationally at the time that he was going through, that's what we find Jeremiah the prophet doing in this passage of Scripture, saying that his hope was in God, and today so should be ours. Now, lots of people, quite honestly, aren't even aware of the book of Lamentations, and if they know it's in the Bible, they're usually not very familiar with it. I'll be the first to admit, it's not exactly the most exciting book to to study and to read. It's basically a six-chapter funeral dirge. Having taught through the Bible before, it's one of those passages when you come to and you say, teach it all, Lord. He says, yeah, teach it all. You know, the fruits, the vegetables, and even the asparagus and the broccoli and the stuff. Just teach it all because it all has a purpose. And it all is what keeps us healthy and really is a great reality check. And in this book, Jeremiah the prophet shares what is happening in his heart personally and what he was feeling in his life and what he was thinking mentally. And basically, that's exactly what it is. It's called Lamentations because it is a lament of Jeremiah the prophet where he's grieving and lamenting over the events in his nation at this time. And what he's basically doing, it's almost like you're peeking into a part of his journal. Some people keep journals. And basically for a number of chapters, what Jeremiah is doing, he's just kind of writing out his feelings and his thoughts. And he's writing out his feelings of sorrow and of discouragement and how he feels so despondent and how he was despairing And he found himself just depressed and wrestling with what was happening around him. He watched his nation. You need to remember, Jeremiah, the prophet, was someone who watched his nation disintegrate before his very eyes. Jeremiah, the prophet's ministry, was a 40-year ministry of having the most relevant message in his day, and yet it was the most rejected and unheeded message in his day. For 40 years, he spoke the truth. He never wavered. He never tried to spice up his message with compromise or extra things. Jeremiah spoke straightforward. He continued on the direct course and path. He rightly defied the word of God. He spoke the truth to a nation and people who were turning away from God. And for 40 years, he not doesn't seem had one convert. It doesn't seem anyone heeded. None of the leaders of the land listened to what he had to say. And Jeremiah watched before his very eyes the nation of Judah falling apart at the seams. He witnessed his own nation just spiraling downward and disintegrating and conditions went from bad to worse. 
over the course of his life and the course of his ministry. The nation of Israel, remember, God had established them. God had blessed them. It was a glorious nation. It was a blessed and a prosperous nation. But unfortunately, they had turned away from the Lord. And as a result of that, problems continued to get worse and worse in the culture. And different facets of the society and the culture began to fold up and ultimately fall apart. And problems compounded. And as the nation turned further away from God, and as things became more difficult, they also, as any nation would experience the same, became more and more vulnerable to where ultimately they were conquered, remember, attacked and destroyed by the foreign nation of Babylon in 586 B.C. And as the Babylonians came in, the nation of Judah experienced great uh, loss. Their city and their temple was destroyed. There was great loss of life. There was devastation on many fronts and, and, and a lot of pain and suffering. And Jeremiah lived through this and watched it and it was weighing heavy on him as a person and he was severely troubled and to make it all worse, there was nothing that Jeremiah could do to change the conditions of his culture around him. He was by all means giving the best stab at it that he possibly could. But from all outward perspectives, his ministry was an utter failure. No one was listening. No one was responding. And Jeremiah was basically watching a sinking ship before his eyes. And on top of that, he was in the midst of that and watching it go down the tubes together with everyone else around him. And it was all outside of his control. He had no ability to change conditions nationally. He was one man and there was nothing that he himself could do as well as the fact that he couldn't change the situation inside of his life personally with the thoughts and the feelings. And it was just weighing down on the prophet mentally and emotionally. And like carrying around a sack of bricks, he was found himself under this duress and discouragement. And he spends the first three chapters really just expressing his struggles and his despairing thoughts and his discouraged feelings. And he's clearly wrestling with depression and discouragement and despondency. And I don't know about you, but perhaps you can relate in some ways to Jeremiah this morning. Perhaps you honestly have experienced in your life in the past or still are in the present feelings of just being very despondent and finding yourself just really with an outlook that makes you feel very much like you're in despair. Maybe you're wrestling with depression. I think these are, are things and feelings and thoughts that everybody at different stages in their life goes through. And of course, when we watch a country on the course where we're at in many ways, it's difficult not to feel that way sometimes. It's difficult not to look around and to realize things are honestly individually out of our control. And to experience then the things that we do in our own lives personally at times, perhaps some of you here this morning, you're wrestling with feeling depressed. Listen, can I encourage you? So did many men of God throughout history. We find uh, in the scriptures not only Jeremiah lamenting and discouraged and depressed. You, you read the book, it's obvious this guy had he went to someone and laid on a psychologist or psychiatrist's couch, they would have recommended a full round of meds for him. They would have told him that he had this condition and that condition. And, and Jeremiah was just depressed. He was discouraged. And rightly so. 
Elijah the prophet got depressed and discouraged. Paul the apostle said at one point, we despaired of life. That's another way of saying we were seriously contemplating it would be better to just check out and die. That was how he felt. That was what his thoughts were. That's what his feelings were. And being depressed, being discouraged, having times of despair in our thoughts and our feelings honestly can just be a normal part of this life. As we experience difficulties, as we see things happening around us, the more important thing is this, is to learn from Jeremiah's example in that though he was very depressed and very discouraged in his soul, that he found a way to overcome those thoughts and feelings rather than letting those thoughts and feelings overcome him and cripple him. And it's the example that he sets here that is a great help because he pauses right in the middle of his thoughts and his feelings to express, despite conditions around him, that he still had hope. And he's describing here in these verses, right in the center of the book of Lamentations, how he retained hope personally in light of everything that was happening around him nationally and what he was dealing with circumstantially. And that is that his hope was in the person of God. Jeremiah says, the Lord is my portion. And he says, therefore, verse 24, I hope in him. That's how I retain hope, Jeremiah says. I realize that the Lord is my only hope. And we find Jeremiah here basically reflecting on the greatness of God. Notice verse 21 where we begin. Jeremiah says, This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. Notice, as Jeremiah was dealing with what he was with personally, and as he's watching what's happening all around him nationally, Jeremiah says, you know what? I needed to, to regain a proper perspective. He said, this I recall to mind. You know, we, we have recalls at times in the merchandise industry, which means you know, to call something back so that it can be you know, sort of brought back in to be checked over and to be reviewed. And sometimes I think we really do. We almost have to do a mental recall. Because our minds have the tendency to go to places. I know mine does. I'll admit firsthand. I'll be very candid with you to tell you that one of the biggest things I have always wrestled with in my Christian life is personal discouragement. It is one of the wrenches that the devil uses in my life in a more effective way, I think, than anything else. Times when I find myself feeling so depressed and so downcast and, and so discouraged to the point where not only just mentally, I can almost feel it physically in my life. And here Jeremiah at this time is expressing the reality of how, yes, this is what's happening in my mind and this is the way that I feel. But he says, I recall to mind. And, and what he's going to recall to mind is thoughts about God. The way that he picked himself up was by just starting to think about God again, getting his mind off of the things that it was on and putting his thoughts and his perspective back on, on God. You know, the Bible tells us that he shall keep in perfect peace, Isaiah says, him whose mind is stayed upon thee. Our mind is such a critical thing in our lives. And I think it's the one area where the devil knows that he can assault and attack like any other. Remember Peter struggled with his mind as well. Remember on one occasion, Peter said of Jesus, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and Jesus said to him, flesh and blood hath not revealed that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In other words, spiritual revelation. And then the next breath, as Jesus starts to talk about his suffering and his death, then Peter says, far be it from thou, Lord. 
In other words, not on my watch. I will not let anything happen to you. This Messiah thing is moving forward and we are setting up your throne and nothing is going to get in the way of that. We're putting you on the throne. And Jesus turns to him, remember, and he rebukes him. And he says, Peter, he says, get thee behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God. Interesting, not mindful of the things of God. In other words, Peter, your first thought, that was right on from the Father. The Spirit revealed that to you. But that second thought, Peter, that just came into your mind, that you felt so passionate about, that was totally satanic. You're not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Which shows me that the devil has the capacity, though if you're saved, your spirit is sealed, he has no access to your soul. But it seems to me that the Bible tells us that we need to take our thoughts captive, make them obedient to Christ. So at times we need to, to that is, capture our thoughts and bring them into obedience to the things of Christ because the devil has the ability to fire his darts into our mind and to assault us in our minds many a times in ways that would have us not think according to the ways of God. And Peter himself experienced that. And here Jeremiah was dealing with thoughts of, of depression and discouragement. He's bummed and he's blue. And he says, you know what? This I recall to mind. I had to do a recall. I had to do a recall in the cycle of my thoughts because they were harmful and destructive and defective. And I had to do a recall on my mind. And he says, as I did this recall in my mind, he says, that was how, he says, therefore I have hope. And what does Jeremiah, we find, recall to his mind? He decides to start thinking about God. He just decides in the next few verses to start reflecting on the Lord. And Jeremiah says, therefore I have hope. What did he find his hope in? He found his hope really in the reality of God's presence in his life. He remembered, wait a minute here, I have hope because I have God. I have God in my life. Yes, things are a mess nationally. Yes, everything is falling apart and seems disintegrating at the seams. And, and yeah, I'm going through some tough times personally, but I got God. I have God in my life. And he starts to just think about God. And interesting to me that Jeremiah's source of hope was his personal relationship with God, that he knew God personally and he knew what God was like. And Jeremiah says, therefore, I have hope. He says, I have hope. I hope in him. And can I ask you this morning, what are you hoping in? God wants us to have hope. I don't believe, though I struggle myself just like you, I don't believe that God wants us to live feeling hopeless. I don't think a feeling of hopelessness is God's intention for our lives. The Bible is very clear. God wants us to have hope, ultimately to have our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says he is the hope of glory. The hope of glory. That's what Jesus is. If you possess Jesus this morning as your Savior and Lord, you have the hope of glory, which means this. You're going to get out of this grueling world and you have a hope of glory because you have Jesus who's going to one day get us not only away from the power of sin, but he's going to get us out of the presence of sin. He's going to let us escape from this world. And Jeremiah found tremendous hope and that hope that took away the hopeless feelings and depression was that he recalled to mind the reality of God's presence in his life. Look what he says, verse 22. He says, 
through the Lord's mercies, he says, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. Interesting. He says, as he's watching what's happening, everything's a mess. There's devastation all around him. There's loss. There's people suffering. There's people struggling. Things are not good in the culture, in his circumstances. On top of that, he's dealing with his own depression and despair. And Jeremiah recognized, he says, but yet, here's what I realize as I recall things to mind to give myself hope. He says, the truth of the matter is it's through the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. The idea is utterly destroyed completely done away with Jeremiah recalled and recognized that if God did not show mercy they would have been totally destroyed yes things were devastated but Jeremiah says it could have been way worse truth of the matter Jeremiah realized if God was not merciful to us amidst what just happened to us things would have been way worse. We could have been utterly destroyed altogether. We could have been wiped out completely. Yes, we've experienced some tragedy and some difficulty, but he says if it wasn't for God being merciful, and what's mercy? Mercy is not giving a person what they do deserve. In other words, Jeremiah rightly understood that even when we can't be thankful in a sense where you know there are certain things that we 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 don't get and and I wish I had this and I wish I had that and Jeremiah says you know sometimes we can be thankful that that there are things that we don't get well and and we're upset because we didn't get this and we didn't get that and he says but there are lots of things we can be thankful for that we don't get and that's what we don't get what we honestly deserve that God is always merciful to us and that everything that comes through the filter of our life is, is filtered with the restraining hand of a merciful God as he adds mercy upon our lives. That everything that we experience in this life, let us never forget, really, because of God's tremendous mercy, we're getting the restrained version. You know, we realize that. Everything that we experience in our life, that's still the restrained version. <laughs> that's because there's a God of tremendous mercy who has pity and mercy upon his people and he therefore restrains in our life the greatest impact many times of things that we can get. I'm absolutely convinced. Is it a bummer and and is my heart broken and do I feel bad as a result of the conditions from this storm like other natural disasters? Absolutely. But I'm convinced that God had mercy on us. I know I was praying. I hope you were praying too as I saw the storm coming. Lord, have mercy on us. Have mercy, Lord. Seems like it's coming, but Lord, you can have mercy. Before Have mercy, Lord. Bring the merciful version. Give us mercy in the process. And so many times in our life, as we're being bummed and blue and discouraged about what we're dealing with, hey, let us remember, if it wasn't for the Lord's mercy, how bad could it really have been? in all the things that we go through and deal with. But to realize that it wasn't for God's mercy, we could all be completely wiped out. We all know what we honestly, sincerely deserve, and that's burning and torment and the fire and sufferings of hell because of the sinful people that we are in the presence of a holy and a righteous God. And the fact that God gives us mercy is something always to rejoice in. He says in verse 22, through the Lord's mercies we're not consumed because his compassions 
fail not. So God's mercy and God's compassion. And what's compassion? Compassion is, is sensing the struggle of someone else and being motivated to do something to assist them. That's what compassion is. Sensing the hurt of someone else, seeing and sensing the struggle and the difficulty they're going through and being prompted to want to assist and to help them somehow. And God is full of compassion, the Bible says. In other words, God looks upon us in our weakness, in our deficiency. The Bible says that he remembers that we're dust. And as a father pities his children, so the Lord has compassion or, or pity upon us. And God sees us. He sees me in my weakness and he sees me in my frailty and he sees you with all your deficiencies in the different areas of your life and God is moved with compassion and he wants to get involved in our lives. You know, God loves you this morning and whatever you're struggling with and whatever you're dealing with, know that he wants to be involved in your life in a personal way. God's compassionate and he wants to get involved in your life whatever it is that you're personally going through. And he sees and he's aware of it and he's not looking to, to browbeat you or to make you feel bad or, or guilty for what you're struggling with. He understands. Interesting, the Bible says that, that he remembers that we're dust, Psalm 103. I think the problem many times is we don't remember that we're dust. We think we're something else. And so therefore, when we find ourselves struggling, on top of struggling, which is bad enough, we struggle and compound the struggle because we inflict self-guilt and we're, oh, I don't know why I'm struggling with this. And, and then we beat ourselves up or when we fail. I guarantee there have been many a times, maybe even recently this week, you failed, you struggled with a sin in some area and you were so shocked at yourself. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I thought that. Well, maybe you think a little too highly of yourself. God's not shocked. The problem is we think we're something more than just dust with the breath of life blown into us. God remembers that we're dust and therefore he has compassion on us. He knows we're weak. He knows we're frail. And on top of that, he's concerned and he wants to help and assist in whatever you're struggling with. Whatever you're struggling with physically, whatever you're struggling with mentally, whatever you're struggling with emotionally and spiritually, God knows that you're weak and his compassions to take pity and to compassionately come alongside and to help. Jeremiah says, wow, he says his compassions, they fail not. In other words, God's never going to stop being compassionate and God is never going to cease wanting to come alongside of you. And unlike others, God fails not. See, when God comes to your aid to assist you, he's not going to fail you. He's not going to let you down. He's not going to help you halfway or he's not going to help you for a few days and then say, you know what, this is too much. It's too big of a commitment. It's more than I thought or you're too much and you're too big of a commitment, so I'm out of here. God's never going to do that. Unlike other people, God will not fail you. Will people fail you? Absolutely. Even if they want to be there, people are frail and they're just like you. So you shouldn't be shocked when people fail you. Remember, they're dust, just like you. But you can guarantee and have full reliance that God will never fail you. Maybe you've been failed in your life by your parents. God will not fail you. Though my mother and father forsake me, the psalmist says, the Lord will take care of me. The Lord will take care of me. Maybe you've had a spouse who's failed you. The Lord won't fail you. 
He'll honor that covenant in relationship and keep to that commitment. God will not fail you. His compassions, his assistance, his aid in your life. Jeremiah says, his compassions fail not. He says, verse 23, they are new every morning. His mercies, his compassion. Jeremiah says, they're new every morning. Every morning, they're new again. You know, Jeremiah understood the key, really, to how to sustain yourself in the midst of difficulty and hard times every morning. How is that? One day at a time. The Bible teaches the way to live life is one day at a time. You know, isn't it even interesting the way that God's created and designed our bodies? That... that Every day around a certain time, once it begins to get dark, after having been up 15, 16 hours, all of a sudden something starts to happen in your body physiologically, chemicals change, and you find your system starting to shut down and you start to feel what? Tired. And you start to feel sleepy. And that's by design. And God's created our body to begin to to slow down and then to shut down to where ultimately we basically fall asleep It's the closest thing probably we can do to death. And God kind of lets us just, in a sense, die every day and then wake up and start all over again. And it's new every morning. So all your failures and all your frustrations and the the compounding, you know, depression and discouragement and all and and all of it. And God says, all right, it's time for you to die. You just, you, you, 16 hours is enough for you. You can't even take 24 hours. So die for about four, five, six, eight hours, whatever you need. God, we all need to die different amounts. Just die, and then it'll be new in the morning. And you can start over in the morning again. And you can have a fresh start. And he says, God's mercies, his compassions, he says, they're new every morning. You know, if I can illustrate, kind of like the waves of the ocean, right? It never ceases. They just keep coming and coming and coming. And every morning, how wonderful. Mercy. That is, every single morning that you get up, there are fresh batches of God's mercy for all your failures from yesterday. So no matter how many times you failed yesterday and blew it and how discouraged you were with yourself, every morning you wake up, there's fresh mercy to start all over again, no matter how many times you failed the day before. Fresh mercy every morning. No matter what you deal with and what you go through, every morning God's compassions, which fail not, are ready to meet you. And every day, new every morning, God says, I'm here. Watched you all night. Renovated you, replenished you, restored you. And I'm ready to assist you today, this day, with whatever it is you got to deal with. And I'll be by your side. I won't fail you all day. I'll be with you all day long. New every morning, the Lord's there with his presence like a good shepherd, ready to take us through whatever it is to guide us and to walk it through. Psalm 68, 19 says, Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits. Man, that's great. Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits. Psalm 103, forget not all his benefits, it tells us. Every day, he daily loads on us his benefits as he's a part of our everyday life. And Jeremiah is prompted to to just say in verse 23, regarding God personally, he says it now to the Lord. He says, Lord, great is your faithfulness. In other words, he's declaring to God 
his appreciation of God's reliability. That God, you are reliable, you're trustworthy, you're dependable. God, great is your faithfulness, great is your dependability in my life. Great is your reliability. Again, life is filled, is it not, with all kinds of disappointments. It doesn't take long living on this earth to realize that things fail. That's why they sell warranties now with everything. There's almost something strange about that, isn't it? Well, do you want to buy this? And here's how much the warranty costs. In other words, they're saying, do you want to buy this? It's going to fail, but do you still want to buy it? And how much do you want to spend for when it fails? Because it's going to fail. Everything fails, right? Things fail. People fail. Things change. Guess what I've found? People change. And we're surprised by that. People change. Man, sometimes somebody... For, for, for years and years and years and all of a sudden they something happens and they change they're not the same anymore things change and, and, and it causes people to change and they have a different attitude or all of a sudden this commitment and loyalty or, or temper and, and they become a different person people change and it's challenging when we go through those things. Situations aren't always dependable. People aren't always dependable. And maybe you've gone through in your life an occasion or something recently. Maybe you were really relying on something and yet it proved to be unstable. And it fell apart at the seams. Maybe you were really depending upon something and, and yet you found it's failed. And dealing with those kind of things experientially when we go through those times, those letdowns, they're hard. They're challenging things to work through. When you find yourself let down, it's difficult. It can be quite discouraging and even honestly very depressing. But here is where God offers hope. Why? Because Jeremiah says, He, God, unlike everything and everyone, He is greatly faithful. He's not just faithful. He is great in his faithfulness, the Bible tells us. Again, faithfulness is trustworthiness, reliability, dependability. That's the nature of our God. And Malachi says God changes not. God has always been dependable. God will always be dependable in your life. God has always been reliable. God will remain reliable continually throughout the entire course of your life. He's trustworthy. You can rely upon him. That's his nature and he will not change. And Jeremiah knew the way to overcome struggles within was one day at a time. He says, Lord, new every morning. I find your mercy again. I find that you're compassionately there. You don't fail me. You help me through the day. You assist me in my struggles. And great is your faithfulness. Of course, as we look at these verses, it should cause us to sense and to recognize this is where that great hymn comes from. That great hymn, the course of it, great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand has provided. Great is my faithfulness, Lord unto me. The writer being inspired by these very verses, that great hymn that we sing. Verse 24, Jeremiah says, and the Lord is my portion says my soul and therefore again he says I hope in him the Lord is my portion now in Israel on that day when they would think of their portion 
Many a times, to them, that would resonate in their mind of how the land was allotted out. Remember, when they came into the promised land, they were allotted different portions of the land, the different tribes and the different families, and they received their portion or their allotment of land. And that allotment of land or that portion was what they received in order to live off of or to survive off of. Now, for us, that may be a little more difficult to grasp, but when we think of a portion or you think of a portion, potentially what comes to your mind right away is food. Because depending upon who you are and, and what your metabolic rate is and the size of the cavity there right above your waistline is, you need a different portion in your life to sustain you. Your portion is what satisfies you. It's what sustains you. And Jeremiah says in that light, he says, the Lord is my portion for my soul. In other words, for my inward man. In other words, there's an inward cavity. There's an inward hunger. There's an inward desire to be satisfied and to be sustained. In the same way, there's a physical hunger and a physical need to be filled. And he says, and the Lord is the portion for my soul, my inward person, who I really am. And he says, the Lord is, is who sustains me. He says, I find what I need in my relationship with the Lord. Can I ask you something this morning? Are you finding what you need in your relationship with with the Lord or are you trying to find what you need in relationship with other things or are you trying to find what you need in relationship with another person because great as that person is I tell you they won't satisfy long term they won't sustain you long term not like God can they're not intended to. The Bible says there's a God-shaped void in our life that he's supposed to, to fill. And Jeremiah is saying, the Lord is where I receive my internal satisfaction. We so often find ourselves trying to be satisfied in so many other things. And, and I tell you this, when the Lord is not our portion and he is not what we are looking to to satisfy us and to sustain us, you will begin to be starving inside. And you will find yourself starving for affection from other things and other people. You will find yourself starving for fulfillment from other things and from other people. Listen, maybe you're here this morning and your spouse is not satisfying you and they're not sustaining the, the, the genuine need in your life. Can I tell you something real honestly? They can't. Well, to an extent, I understand we should seek to minister to one another and meet each other's needs, especially in the relationship with marriage. But I have come to discover that if the Lord is your portion and you're being sustained by Him relationally and satisfied by Him relationally, then as you do that, you can embrace in a proper marital relationship an imperfect spouse, which is what we all have. Because you're not trying to be sustained and fully satisfied from another human being that's just like you. Let the Lord be your portion. Let the Lord be what satisfies and sustains you. And much more easily will you be able to function and interact with another person. It tells us in Psalm 73, 26, My flesh and my heart fail. They all do. He says, But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. 
Let the Lord be your portion. Feed upon His faithfulness. Be satisfied by His presence. Spend time with Him. Be in relationship with Him. And you'll find you won't be starving for many of the things we end up starving and we pursue in unhealthy ways because the result of the lack of being satisfied by the Lord in our lives. I tell you, a lot of what we see our young people doing, destroying their lives, is because the Lord is not the portion in their lives, so they're starving for attention and affection from everything that the world sets before them on its goody plate. And it's destroying our young people. We need to teach them, listen, you let the Lord be your portion. You let the Lord meet every desire, every need in your life. And it's amazing how that internal satisfaction will help them manage the God-given desires and drives that are there for all the other things. But it will be in moderation because the Lord will be fulfilling them. We should teach them, be fulfilled in the Lord, and then you can properly manage the other things with a healthy filter system. Jeremiah says, therefore, that is why I have hope. Because the Lord is my portion, he says, therefore, I have hope in him. Again, today is your hope in him. Because the God that we serve hasn't changed in the same opportunities available for us. Romans 15, 13 says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible calls him the God of hope. Verse 25, Jeremiah says, And the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who, again, notice, to the soul who seeks him. What's Jeremiah saying? He's saying that he had come to know and come to experience the goodness of God, the Lord is good, Nehemiah Nahum chapter 1 says the same thing. The Lord is good. He had come to know the goodness of God in a not-so-good world. And we live in a not-so-good world. But the goodness of God is something that we can still come to experience. And he says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him and to the soul who seeks him. In other words, Jeremiah is telling us that God honors people who patiently seek him for things. Not striving, not scheming to try and obtain things for yourself, but patiently waiting on God's timing and inheriting what God supplies as he wills and he sees fit. Warren Wearsby always says, a life of faith is living without scheming. And God's called us to live by faith. God has called us to seek him, not to strive not to scheme, not to manipulate, to try and get things to ultimately line up the way we want. And we do this very subtly. There's a manipulative you know, element to every one of our lives that we're going to get what we want one way or the other. We're going to make it happen one way or the other. And some Christians even do this, I think, in a hyper-spirituality. You know, I understand having faith and believing God for things, but the truth of the matter is the Bible I read says the meek shall inherit the earth. I say conquer, bust down the doors, go grab and take... No, the meek shall inherit the earth. The Bible tells us in Psalm 34.10, the young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. If we're seeking the Lord, not striving, not, not manipulating, no, just we're waiting on the Lord in His timing and we inherit what He chooses to supply in His way in His time. We just wait on the Lord. We live by faith. He says, those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. He said, well, you don't understand. I'm, I still lack this in my life. This hasn't happened yet. I don't have a spouse yet. Or I haven't gotten rid of my spouse yet. 
Well, I don't have this yet, or I haven't gotten this job yet, or I, I haven't gotten this raise yet, or shall not lack any good thing. Take note of that. It doesn't say you won't lack. It says you won't lack any good thing. What's the point? Maybe it's not a good thing. Maybe you deeply desire it, but maybe that's not a good thing for you. Well, it hasn't happened yet. Well, God knows what's best. God knows what's good. It says we shall lack no good thing, which means sometimes if we lack something that we really want or we think it should be this way and it's not yet, God says, contrary to what you know, I know more. And God's saying, maybe by faith you should just retract and wait upon me and seek me and realize maybe that's not a good thing. You see it as a good thing, but I love you. I'm faithful. Got it under control. God says you'll lack no good thing. And Jeremiah understood how the goodness of God would never be withheld. Again, so important to realize, even when we pray, listen, we're not overcoming God's reluctance when we pray. We're laying hold of God's willingness. God's a willing God. You know, my children, when they ask things for me, they're not trying to overcome my reluctance all the time. I love my kids. I, I would bless my kids to the greatest extent. But in my love for my kids, I also realize what's best for them and what's not. And as their father, I make decisions accordingly. But they're not always trying to, I mean, I don't find myself constantly reluctant wanting to not give to my kids. I want to give them what's best. And God wants to give what's best to us. And the Bible is encouraging us to realize that. Psalm 27 says, I would have lost heart, listen, unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I would have lost heart, lost my mind, been depressed, been overwhelmed, he says, unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Just keep believing that you'll see the goodness of the Lord, not just when you get to heaven, but in the land of the living. God wants to show his goodness. Jeremiah says here, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Therefore, his exhortation, it is good that one should hope and wait quietly, patiently, be still and know that he's God. Wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Jeremiah was expressing there's value to knowing that the salvation of the Lord is coming. And when Jeremiah talked about the salvation of the Lord, he was talking about the fact that though they were dealing with great distress and difficulty in nation, that God was going to come to their aid. The salvation and deliverance of the Lord would soon come to them. And he says, it's good to wait quietly for the deliverance, the salvation of the Lord. And Jeremiah says, that's a good thing. As we endure challenges in this world and the stress that goes with it, it's helpful to believe in the Lord's coming deliverance. And for you and I as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is good that we should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of of the Lord. Listen. The Bible says our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. And one day the salvation of the Lord, not just personally, eternally, literally is going to come to pass. Jesus is going to get us out of here. The Bible says we should be looking for the blessed hope of the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. That we should be anticipating his return. Philippians 3 says our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says we wait for his Son from heaven who delivers us from the wrath to come. Wait quietly. Be patient. 
it's good to do that. The salvation of the Lord, it's coming. It's coming. And despite what happens circumstantially and despite what happens politically, do you still have hope? We should. We have great reason to hope. We're waiting on the salvation of the Lord, man. We have something to hope in. Despite the election, despite what takes place, we have God. We have God. And we know that Jesus is going to call us up to meet him in the air. He's going to deal with all the problems on this world. And then ultimately, he's going to lead us back in triumphant procession to come back. And the true king is going to be on the true throne. And he's going to rule and reign. And he's going to make everything right. Everything right. And we can rest in that. We have that hope so that we don't have to live hopeless lives.